for you and me, we're going into the book of Genesis chapter 41. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asrath, the daughter of Prophiah, the priest of Onan. Joseph named his firstborn Manseta and said, it's because God has made me forget all my troubles and my father's household. The second he named Ephraim. The second son he named because he made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Let's stop there for our reading. Some of you, years ago, a couple years ago, got to see these pictures. If you're a visitor today, or you may not have seen these pictures, so we're going to show you. The first one I'm going to show you is the tomb of Joseph. It was 1894, they discovered it. They dug it out. His sarcophagus was in here. And this is the main structure that survived. The next picture is going to be pop up here. And this is going to show you the complex. They've actually rebuilt it in Egypt right now. And you'll notice his pyramid had a door in it because his pyramid held a statue. The reason why is his bones were never designed to be in the statue, in the pyramid. You have to remember, he was number two in Egypt. He was second only to Pharaoh. And he left instructions that his bones were to be taken away. So they had this separate building with their sarcophagus and the statue was there. The next picture, we're going to show you a sarcophagus. This is Joseph's sarcophagus. It's printed, written on. We know where exactly where it is, right? It, it's located in Abala village, which is the eastern entrance to the valley that separates Mount Gizem from Abel and but I really want you to notice, everything was accessible. There was doors into it. All the other Egyptian tombs, they were locked in stone. They were made so nobody could break in. Joseph's tomb was designed so his bones could be removed and taken back to the land of Israel, which he made his people promise. Now we're going to get our next picture here. This was the statue that was in the pyramid. Now, over here, barely here, on this picture, it's not as easy as the better picture down there. You'll see it better. It's a coat of many colors. It is recorded that he wore that coat of many colors or one after it his entire service in the Egyptian land. It, this is what it would have looked like in the pyramid. The coat of many colors. This is the only Egyptian person with a coat colored like that because he wasn't Egyptian. He was Hebrew. See, Joseph believed the word of God. And he knew that the Hebrew people would not stay in Egypt forever. And he knew that that one day the Lord would bring him out of Egypt and back to the land of Abraham, to the land of promise. He knew he would not see that day, but he made his kinsmen swear that when the day came, they would carry his remains out of Egypt back to the promised land. Now, we sit here and say, huh, That's interesting. Let me read to you from chapter 50. Verse 22 says, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family, and he lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, his sons, so he had grandchildren and great-grandchildren, a third generation. Also the children make a son of man set a place of birth of Joseph's knees. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God surely will come to your aid and take you out of this land, to the land he promised 
on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and when you must carry my bones from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after it was embalmed and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now some translations with he was embalmed in the style of the Egyptians. That's true. He was... He was mummified. He was not done like the Israelites where they put the body on the coffin, you know, on the slab, and they wait for a year and they just save the bones. He was mummified in the style of the Egyptians. Now, I'm going to take you to Hebrews chapter 11. This is the faith chapter of the Bible. I'm only going to read one verse here. But everybody listening to chapter 11 were found faithful by God. And it says here in verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of his life from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. He did so much, but what was most what God recorded in the chapter of faith was he gave instructions about his bones. I love that. Now, after this little bit of archaeology, archaeological news, somebody's reading, we're going to move our study into God's Holy Word in this series of sermons that we're doing. The plan is that we will be digging out deeper and deeper into nuggets of passages of God's Word for information that you and I can pull out to live in this dark, dark world that we live in and apply to our lives. In this modern world that you and I live in, in, there are times when discouragement can rob us of our courage and hope. So how did Joseph avoid being blinded by his despair? And what can that teach us sitting here today? About 75 years ago, there was a woman named Florence. Florence Chadwick. And she was the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. Now, for you trivia buffs, the English Channel is 21.3 miles each way. And she swam it both ways. Then in 1952, she decided to swim from Catalina Island to the shore of California. It's the distance of only 22 miles. The day she chose to swim was foggy and chilly and she began her swim and could barely see the boat that accompanied you know, went with her in the water. <clears throat> Still she swam steadily for 15 hours. And then she begged to be taken out of the water. She begged to be taken out of the water. Her mother was in that boat alongside her and told her that she was very close and she could make it. Physically and emotionally exhausted, Florence just stopped swimming and was pulled out. And it wasn't until she was aboard that boat that she discovered that the shore was less than a half a mile away. At a news conference the next day, she said, All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. She could have made it 
It was only another half mile. But Florence Chadwick didn't give up because she wasn't strong enough. She'd swam the English Channel both ways at one time. She gave up because she became discouraged. She couldn't see the shore. She lost her faith. Her discouragement blinded her. In today's text, we read about a man named Joseph. Joseph had two boys, and the names he gave them would seem to indicate that he had gotten discouraged at one point of his life. One of the boys was named Manasseh, depending on how you pronounce it. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget my hardships and all my father's house. And the other one's called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. See, in those days, names had meanings. Parents nowadays just pick names because they sound cool. Those names back there had meanings and and they actually were changed at times. His hardship and his affliction. What's that about? What happened to Joseph that would make him name his kids that way? Well, it goes back to his youth. He had ten older half-brothers who basically hated him, and they hated him because their dad loved Joseph better than them. And even God seemed to like him better, if you go read the stories, right? God gave Joseph two dreams that indicated that his older brothers would one day bow down and honor Joseph. And that really did not go over well. In fact, these brothers became so angry with Joseph that one day they got Joseph off by himself and threw him in a pit and planned to kill him. But then along came a caravan of slave traders, so they sold him into slavery. But as a slave in Egypt, things went well for him. That is, until the master's wife fell in love with him. And when he refused her advances, she accused him of rape, or attempting to rape her, and her husband believed her, and threw Joseph into jail. Now, if you do the math in Joseph's life, for the first 17 years, Joseph was a captive in Egypt. First as a slave, then as a prisoner, and all that time, he had no hope of seeing his home or his family ever again. And that was hardship. That was affliction. And that is why he named his son Manasseh and Ephraim. Now as you read through the Bible about Joseph's life, oddly enough, oddly enough, Joseph never seemed to have a pity party. When he was sold into slavery, He was the best slave he could be. He was such a good slave that his master put him in charge of everything. And when he was in prison, he was the best prisoner that could be. And the warden of the prison made him a trustee, what we would call a trustee nowadays. Now, almost one third 
of the book of Genesis is focused on Joseph's life. One third. But in all those pages, you'll never read of him being discouraged. Let me repeat that. In all those pages, you will never read of him being discouraged. And as you read about him, you'll see he has a very right to be, a very good right to be discouraged. In all those pages, he was never discouraged though. Except when we read about him naming his sons. It would seem that Joseph had every reason to be discouraged, but it didn't happen. Why not? Why was Joseph able to avoid being filled with dismay and despair? That's a good lesson for today's world, isn't it? For 17 years, he lived as a slave or a prisoner and never expected to see his home or his family again. And he didn't deserve to be treated like that. So how could Joseph avoid being discouraged? The answer is found in our text today. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God made me forget all my hardships in my father's house. In my father's house. And the second name, Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Notice what Joseph did. In the midst of difficulties, he focused on God. Any of you had difficulties this week, this month, this year? He focused on God. God made me forget. God made me fruitful. And Joseph was so connected to God that he had this mindset throughout all of his captivity. For example, in Genesis chapter 39, we read the story of Joseph's slavery and imprisonment. And in that chapter, you will read these words. God was with Joseph and he became a successful man as he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now you can read this for yourself in Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 and 3. And later, when Potiphar's wife falsely accused Joseph of attempting rape, Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. And the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Those words are Genesis chapter 39, verses 20 and 21. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him successful. That's Genesis chapter 39, verse 23. Now, four times, notice, four times in that chapter, we are told that the Lord was with him. And that is important. Four times. Now, that phrase does show up once in a while. 
in the Bible. It showed up once in the story about Samuel. Once. And it showed up once in the story about David. And it showed once for the story of Ezekiah. And once for a couple others in the Bible. But Genesis chapter 39 is the only chapter in the entire Bible where that phrase shows up four times. Nowhere else in the Bible. Why does it show up so often in Joseph's story? It well, it shows up because Joseph knew God was with him. And that was the secret that kept Joseph from being blinded by discouragement. Now, everybody gets discouraged every once in a while. And at some point, people get discouraged a lot more than other people. And, and, but there's a couple of things I'd like us to consider this morning. The first is, I want you to take a look at this graphic on discourage. Do you notice something embedded in the word discourage? That's right, it's courage. Now, discourage has a sister word called encourage. Notice that courage is part of that word too. The only difference between the two words is the first two or three letters. The only difference, right? They're called prefixes. And they modify the main word. The dis prefix means to take away or to remove. The in prefix means to put or put in. Thus, encourage means something has put courage into you. So let's look at the word discourage first. What would take away or remove our courage? Well, a lack of courage can come from we when we face situations we can't control. And have you ever been there? We feel helpless, vulnerable, and weak. We face dangers we can't understand or deal with. And that's what happened to Joseph. He found himself in a foreign land with no chance of getting home. He was a slave and, and he was trapped into slavery. He couldn't change that fact because he was not his own man. And then he was a prisoner. He was locked behind doors. He'd never be able to open. You could understand if he got discouraged. Now, none of you are in physical slavery right now or in a foreign land, and none of you are prisoners in a jail right at the moment, or you wouldn't be here, right? But you might be slave to some circumstances that you can't control. You might be imprisoned by situations that you can't overcome. It could be a health issue. It could be a relationship that's falling apart. Or it could be a job that makes you feel miserable. Or I could go on and on with the list. It's situations like that that can rob you of courage and hope. And they can blind you with discouragement. This dark world that you and I live in wants to rob you of your courage. True? It's what it wants to do. It wants you a sniveling coward in the background. It wants to rob you of your courage. It wants you blinded by discouragement. 
So what can you do about it? Well, the only way to get back to courage, if you've lost, is to find your courage, is to find it somewhere else. And then where do you find it? Where are you going to get, go to get encouragement? Where are you going to go to get courage that can be pumped back into you, put back into you? The same place Joseph did from God. Joseph looked to God for his strength. God made me forget. God made me fruitful. God was with me through all my difficulties. Have you, have you ever heard the phrase, God will never leave you or forsake you? It's in the book of Hebrews. But, 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 Hebrews was actually quoting Moses from Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8. Where Moses told Joshua, the Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you and he will never not leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. God himself said basically the same thing to Joshua after Moses died. The Lord told Joshua, haven't I command you to be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now you can read those words for yourself in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Now I I really can't explain it. I, I really don't know how it works, I just know it works. My job isn't to explain it, just tell you it works. It's a repetitive theme throughout the Bible. In fact, it shows up in one of my favorite passages. If you're home, folks, you've heard it quoted to you way too many times, but hear it again. Philippians chapter 4, verse, starting at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving for your request, be, let them be made known to God. Now, allow me to insert my words here. These are not scripture, but my words will kind of bring this into the world that you know I live in. Spend time talking to God, focusing on God. And if you do that, then back to scripture, the Bible tells us that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind your minds in Jesus Christ. It passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense to the world around us. It shouldn't work. But it does. I can't explain it. But it works. God does it. Someone once said, this is tough teaching here now, if you're ever to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, your strength is born in the storm. The thing to realize is that you and I are weak. But God isn't. As God told The Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient 
for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Those word of God talking to Paul are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It's when we learn to trust God that he will never leave us or forsake us that we can regain our courage. There's a story of a single woman named Gladys Hayward who became a missionary in China. She loved the Chinese people, but World War II was beginning and she was forced to flee the invading Japanese army. She was torn by the belief that she just couldn't leave the people she loved to suffer, especially the orphans that were there. So with one assistant, one assistant, she led more than a hundred children over the mountains to their freedom. One is, that's a herd of kids. During that long, hard journey, she began to struggle with despair and discouragement. There was no way they were ever going to reach safety. The children were going to starve and die on the way, and she couldn't stop that from happening. And it became obvious to the children that their leader was losing hope and not sleeping. So one morning, a 14-year-old girl in the group reminded her how she loved the story of Moses. And that the Israelites of crossing the Red Sea. And the Israelites survived. And so would they. And the missionary bitterly cried out, I am not Moses. And the girl replied, of course you aren't. But Jehovah is still God. Now for the rest of the story of Paul Harvey, we used to say. At last they came to a river they couldn't cross. In the book it says the Yellow River. And for four days they were trapped there. At one point a child asked, Why doesn't God open up the waters of the Yellow River so we can cross for, as he, God did for the Israelites? And she paused for a moment. And she thought, I cannot open up these vast waters and I have no power other than the power of my own faith. Then she told the children, let's all sing a hymn to God. And perhaps he will, our, our prayers will be answered. Believe it or not, not far away was an army of Chinese soldiers. And they heard the children singing. And the cho- soldiers came to where the children were and they were, they, they supplied them with food and with a boat to cross the river. And Gladys and the children made it to safety because they sang a hymn. Now listen again to Hebrews 11.22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. If you look in chapter 11, it says faith in action. This is the faith. Every person listed in here is a man and woman of great, great faith. One-third of the book of Genesis is about Joseph. The faith of Joseph was certainly remarkable. He was a man of faith. He walked in faith. He walked with God. He did these things. 
God personally gave him dreams and interpretations of dreams. By the way, his family treated him, you'd think he would have been he would have abandoned his faith. But instead it grew stronger. Even the ungodly influence of Egypt did not weaken his trust in God. Joseph did not use his family, his job, or his circumstances for an excuse for unbelief. Joseph knew what he believed. That God would one day deliver him. And of all the miraculous things Joseph did, God chose to put him in Genesis or in Hebrews chapter 11 because he was worried about his bones. No, 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 no. Think about that. He made arrangements for his bones to go to is back to Israel, the promised land, and that's why he got put in the book of faith. Here's a man who walked with God, talked with God, was guided by God, interpreted dreams by God, and his he was worried about his bones being buried. What a blessing it would be if that's okay, let's make let's make sense out of this. You got to put a headstone on your grave and said, here lies a person who believes in God and you had him put that on your headstone. And that got you in the book of Heroes of Faith. That's basically what we're talking about. Worried about some bones because bones ain't going to matter. But it was this statement that they were going back to the promised land. He was in politics. He was number two in all of Egypt. He survived all the politics. They never found anything wrong with him. If you read all the writings and all the other stuff, you can go to Egypt right now and see his name carved on the side of stone buildings, you know, from in hieroglyphs, right? Egyptian hieroglyphs. A bit of trivia for all you guys who have cell phones. Okay, here's my favorite joke. We now talk with emojis. That's a 3,000-year-old language. The Egyptians talk with pictures. We now talk with pictures. Those emojis mean something. So I only send a smiley face because that's the only one I understand. You send the wrong one to somebody, you can get in trouble. Now, Egyptian language, the hieroglyphics, there's a bird on the top. Egyptian, you could read up or down, left or right, up, bottom to top, right to left. All depended on the bird. The way the bird faced is how you read the Egyptian language. It's the only language that did that. When they carved it, they could carve it four ways. Think of all the politics and all the intrigue and all the stuff that happened in Egypt. And Joseph was worried about his bones going home. See, I'm sorry. Some of you have had struggles in your life and you're in the middle of struggles. But you weren't a slave and you weren't in prison. Unjustly in prison. 17 years. And he never gave up on God and God was with him in all those times. Think about this. The, the, they put him in charge of everything because he, he succeeded. It wasn't him doing it, it's God doing it. God is faithful when we are faithful. Imagine all those guys realizing that they didn't have to watch Joseph. And then we put number two in the country. 
And he saved his family because he listened to God. He listened to the dream. And you can go back and look at the archaeological evidence. There was a massive famine. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people died all over the Middle East. But not in Egypt. Not the Israelites. They were spared. God had a plan. Now we need to close. You guys, if you're a visitor, what will happen here in a moment? We'll have a prayer and then we'll do... We'll have a singing of the final hymn, then you'll be dismissed. There's some hot coffee out there to keep you warm as you go out into this beautiful rain. It's going to make the lawns look really nice. We got it all weed-eated and trimmed just at the perfect time, right? You can look at the rain bad, or you can look at the rain good. Nothing waters like rain. And I don't have to pay the city any money. You know, that water bill's expensive. Let it rain. But please, if you did not pick up a bulletin, please grab one on the way out. There's lots of information. There's the upcoming events. There's upcoming things happening. You really need to know it. But we need to close in prayer. So please join with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for each person that's in this room. You have brought each person here. May today's message help their hearts, help their souls, help their minds. May today's worship uplift them. Allow us not to be discouraged like the world wants us to be, but help us to be strong and true. You called us to be a light to a dark world. It's, Father, if we're honest, it's tough, it's hard. The world just makes us feel terrible. But you have called us to be that light. So give us the strength this next week, Father, to light the world around us. It's our humble, simple prayer. And all God's people said, Amen.